0: Oh no, I didn't write my jokes. I was too busy working on my notes. Wait, you
1: write you write jokes for this?
0: Good evening, nuns, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. Kit, would you like to tell us a little bit more about the American Friend Institute?
2: The American Friend Institute is an organization that honors the heritage of the motion picture arts. We produce an educational podcast about film, including Adam Sandler, Life in Pictures, and have curated a jury-selected list of the 100 greatest films of all time. The American Friend Institute was founded out of our mutual disgust that The Exorcist was not on the American Film Institute's list of 100 greatest movies. It's also not on our list because no one nominated it. I think we all probably thought somebody else would do it. But you know it is on the American Friend Institute's Top 100. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Hold on, I'm getting a call. Hello? Oh, hi Hollywood. What's that? You need us to come save movies again? Ugh, I'm getting too old for this shit. Lethal Weapon, number 73.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Kit. As uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is such a great film. Mm-hmm. We're so smart, and our list is great.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: I am your host, Mike Keller, and I am joined today by my good friends, Kit and Andrew. Tonight we're kicking off Kit's "Girls in White Dresses" triple feature with 1947's "Black Narcissus," starring Deborah Kerr or Deborah Deborah Kerr Deborah Kerr Kerr, I don't know Uh, Kathleen Byron, David Farrar, and Sabu, and directed by Powell and Pressburger. All right, Kit, um, let you uh, do you do you want to introduce the triple or talk about we we usually kick off with. whether or not we've seen the film before, but I thought if you wanna I don't know. I have the seen it. Yeah, what is this like, triple?
1: I don't even know. Yeah. So the triple like is rep- called
2: Girls in White Dresses. hmm Basically like gothic sexual repression movies. hmm Um, Deborah Carr is in two of them. Yes. Um
0: <laughs> So it will be it'll be Black Narcissus, The Innocents, and then
2: H- Picnic at Hanging Rock.
0: Pic that's right, okay. So, okay. What made you pick it? What you just, uh, was there one film of those three in particular you wanted to have a. Um, I've been or?
2: really wanting to watch Black Narcissists. I'm, I mean, basically, we're going to watch every Pal and Pressburger, I think, at mm-hmm. some point. Um, and this then I've also really third. been wanting to watch The Innocents.
0: Okay. And and Hanging is... Rock
2: seemed like a good complement to those two.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll fit. I think I've seen The Innocents, but I'm not sure. So I guess I'll find out. It seems
2: out. like a kind of Mike-ish movie, possibly. Yeah.
0: Well... Yeah. We, well, yeah, we'll talk about it next week. Um, all right. Well, so you had not mm-hmm. seen? You had seen.
2: I had seen that.
0: <laughs> Kid is eating pizza right now. So uh, we'll, we'll cut over to
1: Andrew. Uh, who Oh, God. Andrew is <laughs> also eating pizza. This is. See, this is I disaster. have the ability to eat pizza without it impeding my ability to talk, though. I mean, my mouth. That's true. You're really good at I, shoving it to the my side. Mouth is, the cheek my mouth is My mouth is 100% full right now. <laughs> um, no, I have never seen this movie. I have heard of it. I yeah, I didn't. I knew nothing about it. I did not know it was a Palin and Pressburger movie. As soon as I saw that it was huh. when it was assigned, I went out and bought it, and I'm very glad I did.
0: Very nice. Uh, so Kit is still eating
2: like he actually pizza. went out and bought it. He went to a Barnes and Noble. I did.
1: I I physically nice. went and bought it. Yeah.
0: Very nice. Yeah, I I picked it up in a Barnes and Noble sale. Maybe even a couple of years ago. It's been a while. Had um, you watched it? I had not. No, I'd never seen it. This, so, this is a good kind of push to finally get me to watch it. I've got a handful of criterions that I
1: just bought because I knew I would yeah. like them, but I still haven't it's watched it. It's really them. convenient um, when we suggest a movie that's on my shelf that I have just been trying to get around to watch. <laughs> yes. I mean, some of my triples have just been that. Yeah. Like, it's like, I need to watch this. Let's do it.
0: Um, but yeah, so this is my first time watching it. Um, i'll go ahead we're gonna start with some of mike's Whoa. thoughts on the film okay. i don't know why but um but yeah i liked it i thought it was i think of the three that we've watched uh three Paul and Pressburger films we've watched for the podcast this was my least favorite but that's like saying uh i can't think of anything clever but obviously we've loved well like the ones um we watched prior
2: probably the phantom of the paradise is like your least favorite of the three Brian De Palma movies we've watched or something.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It. Yeah. So they, they've all been it's still winners. better than uh, all movies ever. Yes. I mean, I mean, Hollywood nights is obviously better than mm-hmm. this, Uh but <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for the most mm-hmm. part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh But no, I, I liked a lot. Although I did find it, it was, so it plot wise, it was slow and it didn't really grab me, but like it looked, everything looked so yeah. good. Uh, and then it was also like, so like the plot by which I mean the, the story as it unfolded, it doesn't even
2: really have one.
0: Yeah. So it didn't really, I didn't pull me on that level, but I did find myself like very interested in the characters and in what was going Mm -hmm. on, which sounds very contradictory, probably like the plot didn't interest me, but I was interested in what was going on. So yes, there was by the end of it, I had like fully settled on like, okay, this is what this movie is you know but it's it's very different and so i guess we'll probably talk about it but i don't know so those are my thoughts uh anybody else wanna um go?
1: i felt very similarly uh it was it, i mean my first note is like how striking it is because it's immediately just has that look you know like there are other yeah. movies um it yeah so absolutely stunning but i do agree that it yeah it's not really like a plotty movie it's more about a time and place, and um i think uh i think it 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 can feel kind of sleepy at times um i I do think the visuals are are very you know sustaining though like it's not none of this really none of none of the the negative things I would say about this movie really i don't know they don't really take away from the 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 worthwhileness of watching it i would say. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was it wasn't it didn't grab me in quite the same way that um, Red Shoes or uh, Matter of Life and Death did, but still great, yeah. wonderful. Well, yeah, Matter Matter
0: Matter of Life and Death was like such a like just a fun plot. Oh yeah, and like a premise Abs- and everything like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And this was like it's funny that it's even the same filmmakers, and I believe they wrote both films as well um, because they they feel so different. Like one feels almost like a, a Twilight Zone mm-hmm. episode, and then one feels like like I don't know. Uh, something very different was than you'd see was... on TV, more austere kind of stuff. But I still uh... think
2: though that this shares with, I mean, one of the reasons this was a huge hit when it came out. Okay. Um, but it is also, <clears throat> I think, it's hard to see from our perspective how different, um, this movie is from other movies at the time. Both the fact that, I mean, it's in color, obviously. Um, but its themes, the way it's shot. Like, I watched a lot of stuff about Martin Sc- where Martin Scorsese is talking about this movie. I did, too. Mm. Um, and talking about how, like, people had never seen that. People had never seen that. People had never seen that. Like, all the different, just from, like, a technical filmmaking point of view, but then also the treatment of, like, eroticism in the movie, was very revolutionary um and so i think similarly to the red shoes and um a matter of life and death this to, to me still feels like very modern um obviously we we wouldn't show this one to a kid probably but it's still but like i think this is a movie that you could show you know someone today and be like, hey, movies from the 40s were also, like, cool, you know? Um, yeah. Because it's so pretty. I think one of the most interesting things about this movie that I didn't know before this, until this rewatch, was that, um, like, Michael Powell thought that the only, according to Scorsese, who knew Michael Powell, um, thought that the only, like, true cinematic genius was Walt Disney. Yeah, I
1: saw that. That was really interesting. And,
2: That is what he's basically like doing Disney with this Mm -hmm. movie. Um, And Scorsese was, of course, like pointing out all the different (laughs) ways that it is emulating Disney. And in particular, of course, the shot that's like a composite of the palace and then the painted like background going into the cavern, you know, the whatever you would call that the valley um, (coughs) is like something out of Snow White. Or Sleeping Beauty or something, um, which hadn't come out yet. I don't think, but no, not yet. I, I think that's a really interesting. Like Scorsese calls this, um, like Disney crossed with a horror film, basically. Hmm. Um, and I think that's, I think that's really interesting. And I think it also kind of goes with the very simple plot, like the very very simple story. And it's also like extremely gothic. It's just people walking around in an environment and the environment slowly driving them insane. Um, you know, <laughs> like there's not yeah. a lot of talking. Um, it's very, it's mostly like a psychologically driven story. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because the gothic stuff certainly struck me, but it was kind of, uh, I also like felt very cozy in moments of the movie. Like, Um, every time they go to the chapel, uh, Mm -hmm. when it's always just kind of a shot from the back while they're praying and then like the Christmas stuff. Um, but obviously there's a lot of, you know, they're kind of like, well, some of them are kind of like losing it as all Mm -hmm. of this stuff is going on, but there was still some very just like some warm, uh, scenes here and there. But yes, for the most part, it is just kind of like, uh, slowly heading toward this, you know. I guess disaster. Near disaster. Depends on how you view. Uh what's her name? Sister Ruth, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um that's interesting. The Disney stuff. I wonder Huh. I wonder if Disney and Pressburger or Powell ever interacted. Um like, you know, letters or person to person. Yeah, I don't know. Um mm. It's so... pretty
2: cool. It's pretty it's interesting though especially I mean this will be wildly out of date but at the Oscars that we just watched like there are people still talk about animation in such a like limiting and like derogatory way that it's like exclusively for children and like it's not real movies or something when Mm -hmm. it's here we're pretty close to feature animations origins you know we're like a decade on from Snow White almost um and you know who we now consider like one of the premier filmmaking teams of all time like that's the highest version of cinema is animation and i presume it has something to do with the fact that literally everything is being invented and i think this movie's approach is very like none of this well okay with extremely rare of, uh, exception, all of this is shot in a studio Yeah. Um, at Pinewood Studios. Which, yeah, um, which
0: I did not realize at all until I read through the Wikipedia. I afterwards. was really
1: surprised. So there's, I, 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 you yeah. could tell. I mean, I knew. Obviously, I knew all the matte paintings were, you know, anything mm-hmm. with a matte painting in it was going to be in a studio. But I definitely yeah. thought that there was a percentage of this. Not that I thought it was any of it was shot in like the Himalayas but i thought there was some you know some monastery or somewhere that they shot some of this in yeah mm-hmm. same
2: it's it's really the you the like set miniature and map painting are so seamless not necessarily in the sense that you can't tell what's a map painting or what's a miniature but just in terms of the vision like everything is so harmonious and then there are a, a few scenes where stuff is outside i think it's mostly like farther down like when they're leaving and then obviously and then her flashbacks where she's like riding a horse or whatever um yeah but it's interesting because it has the effect it works so well with the story to approach it that way because the whole point is that this place is like unreality or hyper reality like it's just like it's very different from their you know previous lives um but it's incredibly i mean i think i don't know i'm trying to think of like like would anyone even know how to do this today i guess maybe wes anderson
0: i I thought it was stuff like this while i was watching this yeah
2: But even then, I feel like it's um, I think Wes Anderson really wants you to know when he's using a miniature, (laughs) you know, yeah, you know, versus not.
0: But he does. I mean, he shoots on film. I think he uses. Computers. I'm sure he uses CGI here and there. I mean, everybody does. He could. Yeah, I bet he could figure out how to do a lot of this kind of stuff in camera and I don't know. Do we see a lot of mats anymore? Is it all pretty much Well, CGI? no, there's tons of mats. They're just digital mats. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. I mean, I guess I should say, do or do we see any painting? Like uh, physical paintings? paintings? As opposed Probably not.
1: To, like not, yeah. Not, not unless yeah. it's like a, a, you know, a stylistic choice. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Um. Well, I guess, so this is not exactly leaping off of what Kit said. But just a note that I had taken um, a minute or two ago, we were talking about uh, kind of the timing of this movie. You know, you were talking with regard to kind of the history of anime or, you know, feature animation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But something I, another thing I did not realize until I read through the Wikipedia is it said that this movie was released uh, just months before uh, India became independent from Britain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, for whatever reason, like I've never really read, you know, like I know, about Gandhi to some extent. And I you know, I kind of like have the very vaguest mm-hmm. idea of mm-hmm. uh, kind of how all that stuff played out. But for whatever reason, I thought that that was like way before the 40s. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea that happened, I guess, 1947 yeah. or something. Um, so I thought that was interesting mm-hmm. because what uh, one of the things that, you know, and sorry to just go off the Wikipedia, basically, but one of the things that they mentioned was that thematically, uh, the, uh, some people at the time, I guess, kind of saw this as kind of like a farewell to British colonialism. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like when they're leaving at the end, the nuns have kind of been like, they stuck their head in this thing and it just didn't work. And so now they're headed out with,
1: you know, um, their, their table. I've got a, I've got a quote, uh, a quote here from uh, Kent Jones, who wrote the essay in the criterion booklet. Oh yeah. Great force. Black Narcissus addresses an enduring misconception the longing, indeed fervent, belief that reality can be re- reconfigured to conform to an ideal image. Black Narcissus is a film about people who try and fail to re- remake the world to their specifications, and I agree with that. And uh, I think it's it's I think it's interesting because it's I think it's surprisingly mm. delicate in the way that it. Uh, I mean obviously somebody plummets to their death you know hundreds of feet from a from a cliff but other than that I feel mm-hmm. like it's 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 there's there's a subtlety to it that I don't think you would see in a like I think about like this <laughs> reminds me of Jurassic Park you know where it's like pe- mm-hmm. people trying to force their way into doing something and it having horrific results and yes yeah, someone dies a pretty bad death in this movie and um, but there's I don't know, there's something about it that that feels a little bit like s- subtle, like it's not so far of a reach to me that like, I don't know, maybe maybe there's something about the 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 insanity of like th- this uh, palace that's on a like just built into a rock face. And then,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, it used to be like the house of a hero. Yeah. So there's all these like sexy paintings everywhere yeah. where there's now a convent or a but, nunnery. But these people all just I, feel
1: like re- kind of regular people to me, I think. Maybe that's what it yeah. is. Um. I don't know. I think it's 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 here's what it is. It's it's hubris and, um, you know, it's imperialism, but it's also just people trying to like live and do what they think is, you know the right thing to do like there isn't there isn't anybody nobody really has like you know a, an evil plan or it's not about it doesn't seem like i mean i'm sure there is some like inherent uh you know control issues with representing the catholic church and all of that but i don't think that anybody's intent is to do anything but good in this movie yeah and
2: but i think what i, I think what's interesting is how I mean, it is. I think Jurassic Park is actually a very cool comparison. (laughs) I was thinking of Silence a lot, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, But it's what's Jurassic Park-esque to me is that we are shown all the ways that this is going to fail before they get there. Like, Sister Ruth is already sick. Well, Jurassic Park does the same thing. (laughs) That's what (laughs) I'm saying. That's why I'm saying it's like Jurassic Park, where like you're very clearly told like, here's all the things that are going to undo this mission. Here's mm-hmm. why this is totally doomed. Um And then you get there and then all of those things play out. Like there's like all the clues were there and all the people should like, like there's when, when they're discussing like who uh Claudia should bring with her, they like talk about the strengths and weaknesses of like each of these people. And then they go there and then those play out exactly. And then obviously, um, Mr. Dean is telling them you're not going to last through the monsoon and then like the rainy season. And then that's like the moment they leave. (laughs) It's like when it starts raining. One interesting thing about that scene. um, I watched an interview with uh, Jack Cardiff, the cinematographer, um, where he apparently there was a sequence that he said was the most beautiful photography that he did um, in the whole shoot. And it was him like shooting people with like rain. The, like, shadows of rain, like, falling on our face. And he was just, like, totally in love with it. And then on the day that they were shooting the leaving scene, he had this idea. Um, and we remember from um, A Matter of Life and Death that Pal and Pressburger were very, like, open to suggestions. Like, on the day of, like, they, you know, would change direction, um, listen to other people, try weird things like breathing on the lens or whatever. Um he said, "Hey, I have an idea," and Pal was like, "Okay, go ahead." And he like had like a cup of water and was just like dribbling drops onto the leaves. Like they already had like fire hoses for the rain, like ready to go. But mm. he had this idea of like, what if it starts with like a little oh, yeah. drip drop that gets heavier, and then and then Michael Pal liked that so much that he cut Jack Cardiff's like <laughs> favorite scene of people like of a I think a more sort of like straightforwardly like we're leaving now kind of it was just let it was more obvious maybe than just you know them walking away um interesting yeah
0: you know and we should probably when we keep saying pal and pressburger all three of the films of theirs that we've watched so far he was the cinematographer for so we should probably Mm -hmm. be just basically adding him in as uh third Mm -hmm. director um but yeah, there's apparently, there's a documentary about him. I don't know if it's interviews with mm-hmm. him or if it's just kind of about his career. Is that what that was from? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I want to watch that. Um, I don't think I knew that existed until I read the Wikipedia today.
2: Um, I, just while we're on the topic of Jack Cardiff. Um, so apparently, the way that I understood it is like, the studio was like, one of our guys, one of our cinematographers is going to be assigned to Technicolor. And when they were trying to figure out who it was, who it would be, they were like, he talked, Jack Cardiff was talking about how they interviewed each of them, and he um, got the position because of his knowledge of art history.
1: Hmm. hmm. Interesting. Um,
2: and so in this, in this movie, he talks about how his main inspiration for lighting was Vermeer, and in the documentary, they show a picture of woman holding a balance, mm-hmm. and l- looking at that, I'm like, "Oh shit, yeah, that like <laughs> fully makes sense." Um, oh, and he also talked about, up. like, um, in the in the like main amazing sequence where Ruth is trying to kill Claude, uh, um, the green f- like the green there's like a green filter and like a red light mm-hmm. source. Um, and that was inspired by Van Gogh um and particularly van gogh's like interior of like a pool hall um so he's making any he talks about rembrandt obviously which like i think any cinematographer would probably talk about rembrandt but like looking at vermeer it's like oh wow and that also like vermeer is famous for the lighting of his painting like that's the most kind of like baffling um aspect of of his yeah. work and it's pretty mm. impressive to me that somebody could approximate that with film
1: well i mean arguably vermeer is approximating film so yes uh, uh, uh you know however many uh years ahead of time but um
2: i always think about assigning like doing a triple that includes tim's vermeer but i feel like talking about a documentary on this would be like
1: you'd have hard. i think you'd have to do it as like a like, um, like one that we watch, we'd have to watch four movies, and it would have to be like the companion piece, I think. Or maybe not. I don't know. I'd just say that because I'm, I feel like I, I would, I would say that about anything that we haven't tried before, and it would always works out, so yeah. who knows. Yeah. But I think it would be interesting to talk about, uh, yeah, Vermeer's. Yeah,
0: I could see that being a good, tr- like you could do Exit Through the Gift Shop, Tim's Vermeer, and then some other art documentary because i feel like there'd be plenty i haven't seen tim's Vermeer i feel like there'd be plenty to, to discuss in exit through the gift shop and then oh yeah for yeah, sure not necessarily like what we usually exit talk through about the gift
2: shop is like part not documentary so
0: yeah in true, yeah. yeah but i
2: mean that would that might be why it would be better to discuss i was thinking that, tim's, uh, R- tim's Vermeer man on wire and unzipped and it would be like just hmm. creativity like yeah like documentaries about Creativity and genius.
0: If there's one thing this show there this podcast has taught it me, it's that you can pretty much make a triple out of anything. What's unzipped? Mm.
2: My pants. Nice, dude, dude. Nice. Thank you. Isaac Mizrahi. The
1: the guy from Target.
2: <laughs> yeah, he was a fa- he's a fashion. Yeah, runner. the guy from
1: Target. I, I don't know. <laughs>
2: it's my I favorite. Wanna... Like movie to put on when i'm like getting ready for
0: something cool. i just want to point out kit uh eating pizza during the podcast gives me like time to come up with great zingers so i kind of i could go <laughs> yeah. for
2: this
1: yeah huh interesting um interesting. Uh, okay what, what do you got you got any notes i didn't really take very many notes um
0: i did not take notes during the film but i did afterwards that's why i went through the wikipedia to review the plot because i couldn't fast forward through it i didn't yeah. have time well, usually I'll fast forward
1: and make little Dictaphone notes. Mm-hmm. But uh but yeah. Wait, I got bro, a you're putting your you're putting um, your dick to your phone? Yeah. Huh. And that's and you're you're have writing an the notes with that? Like it's a stylus? So you have yeah, a really have Android, so you, you have, have a have really thin notes. pen like stylus type penis? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs>
0: Anyways. Um so uh I, I one of my notes was that I would probably have I would have gone through and tried to note every time that the uh, film was visually striking, but it's just constantly, (laughs) it constantly looks good. Um, The, the mats did stand out. Uh, One thing I copied from the Wikipedia uh, Powell uh, in some interview at some point said uh, our mountains were painted on glass. We decided to, to do the whole thing in, in the studio and that's the way we managed to maintain color control to the very end. Mm. Sometimes in a film, its theme or its color are more important than the plot. And I think that yeah. quote Love is uh, very important. Know, yeah, that's pretty much it's like he, it, it, I guess in reading that quote, I was like, OK, he was on the same page making yeah. this that I was by the time. Yeah, I That, finished that watching helps it. for sure. Um,
2: Scorsese yeah. talked about how like when they restored, I think they restored the print or something and then they mm. showed it when those flowers, like the begonias or whatever they are, um, came up on screen, like people applauded mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. it was just like the most incredible color or, they'd ever or seen. Or like
1: in the fla- in the first flashback where Ruth is standing in the water, she's fishing, and the reflection of the light mm-hmm. on the water was like just so visually overwhelming and so like uh like fantastical that it just blew yeah. people away.
2: Which, I mean, it looked that's it kind of nice. It's nice to it, think. It
1: looks great just on, you know, on my TV, so I can only imagine if it's on, like, a, you know, an enormous screen.
2: Yeah, yeah. Scorsese was, of course, like, uh, definitely this is one you want to see in a theater, which I feel like he would say about any movie, yeah. but, like, definitely <laughs> yeah. want to see this in a theater, preferably on, like, a bigger-than-average screen, like, the biggest screen you mm-hmm. can get.
0: And, and, yeah, I think that that's true for pretty much every movie made before, like, 2010, but, like, it kills me because, like, I don't live in Los Angeles or New York, so mm-hmm. I'm never going to see, you know, 99% of old movies uh, in a theater.
1: Have you ever seen? But it's true. Have you I ever mean, seen yeah. 2001 in IMAX or or 70 millimeters? Yeah. Okay. What well, do you got?
0: I did. Yeah, I got to see it when they were screening the restoration a couple years okay. ago. That so the one some that, stuff makes it out uh, there. Nolan worked on. Yeah, like we get we get the big ones, and like during early COVID, we did get like uh, when they weren't releasing new films, they were putting out like we went to go see the Big Lebowski. We went to go see Prince. They were they were showing prints of it. That's the thing. So no, huh. that it was it was really hit or miss whether or not we were going to get like like a nice. I don't even know if there is a theater in Kansas City now that the Alamo is closed that actually shows film. Mm. Um, so everything was digital. But like I think when we saw Big Lebowski, it was possibly a blu-ray if not a dvd oh, no. um yeah but then like we saw gremlins and it was clearly the 4k restoration that's great uh that was my first time seeing that and so it was like well
1: that was cool and I've, I've actually when alamo was here i did see gremlins on i film. mean that's that's uh, one of the biggest things that um people should well why people should care about 4k blu-rays is because a lot of you know the good ones when they're doing a good job they're working from the negative yeah. and they're creating a new print you know that people yeah. can so people yeah. can enjoy you know, uh, the the best the movie can possibly look in the on the big screen. Yeah. Um. But what gives the point? But yes, yeah, something
0: like Black Narcissus will probably. I I feel pretty secure saying that that will never screen in the Kansas City metropolitan area. I mean, yeah. I so, don't know. I mean, you
1: know. I don't. It's. I don't think that thing is screening anywhere. I think they played in like they played well, in like yeah. museums no. and
0: shit. <laughs> so I listened to the the podcast. Uh, was it Pure Cinema mm-hmm. podcast, which. Um, kind of has partnered with the new Beverly in oh, nice. uh, Los Angeles. And every day it seems like they show a different old movie. So I could totally see this plane um, like in LA, but that's, that's, it's like there's one place on planet earth where you're going to have yeah. like that kind of a thing yeah. occurring. So it's rare, but, but yeah, I would love to see this. On oh, the for screen, sure. You know, digital,
1: digital or, uh, for so sure. But um, yeah, you know. it is, it has been just to, to harp on the point a little more. It has been um, very nice. To all of the restorations that have been coming out lately, uh, you know, I, we we live near the Hollywood Theater in Portland, which plays <laughs> as you know whatever they can get a hold of, they play rest they play a restoration. We just saw the um the new restoration of the Conversation, and that was just it just mm. knocked my socks off. Um, nice. And I mean, seeing you know two thousand one again, like seeing like I've seen seventy millimeter prints of it. Uh I had never seen a brand new like completely unwatched basically uh print of it and it was like i mean it, it was like see you know i feel like we 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 a lot of people watch old movies on tv or you know turner classic movies or old worn out dvds and vhs tapes or whatever and you just it does not do justice to a lot of like classic films that uh like we yeah. just i feel like people don't realize how good things used to look not that they can't look good now but like we you know and not that they not that every movie looked good then but um there's just a lot of there's a lot of cinema that it's just like you just want to like grab society by the eyeballs and be like you've got to see this (laughs) yeah we're all stupider for not having this in constant rotation (laughs) anyway speaking of stupid um um so I know this is a movie of its time. This is not an of, of, offensive. Uh, 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 nothing about this is a is a personally offensive or problematic to me. But it is funny to me that you have like actual, uh, I'm guessing Indian people in this movie, and then also people in, you know, Indian brownface. Uh, I don't really. T-
2: we just watched freaking Stargate. And they did the same yeah. thing where they have actual, like, you know, at least non-white people, except for the girl who plays a love interest, <laughs> who's a, like a white no, lady. No, you're right. In brown, You're face. totally right.
1: It's a little it's a little more um, uh, obvious in this, I think. I mean, this is like mm-hmm. almost like Holiday Inn blackface. Um, but it's just like, it, you know, my, my comment on it was going to be like, like, this like again, a white guy doesn't bother i mean I, I i i i sympathize with anybody who would you know be like, "Ah, this is not for me, um but what I was gonna say is like it's it just looks stupid, it looks so stupid, <laughs> it looks so dumb. it's like it's such a bummer <laughs> watching like uh, a movie that is prist- a really good it's movie. pristine in every aspect, and of course, and they couldn't <laughs> you know foresee. Well, maybe they should have been able to foresee. I don't know, but like you know, the world the world has changed in at least in at least as much to where this isn't like it's not even that it's not okay anymore. It just doesn't look correct, you know. I had an additional layer of. I,
0: I mean, I should say there's not a huge conflict for me either with that. I understand that people get upset, but it doesn't bother me. Uh, but I had an additional additional layer of uh, problematic problematicity or something uh i think gene simmons is like gorgeous just i've seen her in a handful mm-hmm. of films and she pops up in a lot of stuff that people still watch i feel like um but uh i thought she looked really pretty in uh, like brown face or whatever it'd be like i thought she looked really good in this movie i was like gene simmons with like a tan and black hair looks <laughs> shiny um, she's so she's so, so yeah. shiny i don't she was but she just looked i thought she looked really good <laughs> so so i don't know where that would land me on the uh um, I don't know the, I don't know the Twitter people's, uh, radar, but, uh, well, it's but funny yes, cause you weird. have,
2: you have, uh, Sabu, um, as like this, you know, one of the stars of this movie and mm-hmm. Scorsese said Sabu is his favorite actor as a child. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs>
0: so what, what else was he in?
2: The Thief of Baghdad, which okay. I presume is probably where Scorsese got obsessed with him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's probably how he wound up, because Powell worked on that, right? Yes. Yeah, he was yeah, a co-director. So yeah, was probably. Yeah, because I looked through his filmography last night, and yeah, he was in several things. Like it looked like he had, you know, reasonable career. Um, yeah, he died really young but, though. Uh,
2: he died of a heart attack at thirty-nine. Jesus.
0: Yeah. Sad. But he was good. He was very. He was. Probably He's the. Very beautiful. Character in the movie. yeah Yeah. he's great yeah handsome guy very fancy uh dressed
2: Mm -hmm. in this
0: so
1: uh one other thing that i could say that i thought looked dumb i thought almost like i thought uh i thought mr dean looked really stupid in that hat and i thought he uh i'd say a few (laughs) there were a few of his outfits that i thought looked pretty stupid uh he looked like a big dork um
2: the short the shorts are tough, I think.
1: I don't have a I don't have like a real problem with the sh- the only reason I'm bringing up the shorts <laughs> and like the cut of his sleeves is uh is because of the hat. You you fix that hat and and everything else I think falls <laughs> into line. That hat was a real was a real problem for me. Um it's like I cuz I understand that, you know, he's supposed to be like the cock in the hen house kind of thing and I'm just like I could not find this man to be less of a sexual object while he's wearing that hat.
0: <laughs> See, this he, is what I was saying. You guys all made fun of me when I said like the Gilmore Girls and their stupid hats ruins it. You got these beautiful ladies and they put on these stupid little beanies, and you're just like, I can't, I can't respect
2: that. <laughs> so, um, it's a hat, he a has, bad hat. It makes does. a difference. He has violet eyes like Elizabeth Taylor. Apparently, that is why Michael Powell liked him so much, because Michael Powell's just obsessed with color. Uh, so. Cause I thought it's like, it's strange because objectively I can look at him and be like, yeah, he's a very um, good looking guy. But I sort of agree, like he was not sexy enough for, he was not as sexy as I think this movie requires him to be. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like the movie is all about like multiple women becoming obsessed with him. (laughs) And he's a big, he's a huge asshole.
0: Um so speaking of things we thought looked goofy, I did kind of chuckle every time they were riding around on the donkeys just yeah. cuz like you're used to seeing people on in movies horses. like on big horses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was just like, well that looks stupid.
1: It, does, uh, it always looks yeah, it looks stupid. Right. Yeah. Especially when it's supposed to be, you know, it's their I don't know, sort of sort of romantic leads, I guess. Like yeah. they're supposed to be I, <laughs> you know, especially at this at this at this in this period of filmmaking where, you know, uh, men are you know their attractiveness is sort of defined by how masculine they are presented and yeah. and you got a guy in a dorky looking hat riding a donkey <laughs> and another and another guy wearing sequins and riding a donkey and we're supposed to think that these dudes are the you know are being presented to us as like the most fuckable people in town
2: I feel like watching this and hearing Scorsese talk about it it's like everything That Scorsese would go on to be interested in is like in this movie, including uh, the Catholic Church not liking you. Um, Yeah, (laughs) because the Catholic Church was not a fan of this movie, and it's strange. It's a little strange to me because, so yeah, this I think that this movie is erotic. Like I do think that that's sort of the point of everything. I mean, Michael Powell says that every single you know every single frame is like you know designed to be as erotic as possible. Um, but it's but it is not. Pointed. It's not like it's difficult to pick a certain thing and be like, "That's too horny," um, and yet the flashback scenes were cut out of the American uh, release.
0: Yeah, um, what? I think initially. the logic is less the sexuality, and it's more that I mean, I can't remember what the the Legion of Decency was quoted as taking issue with, but it's, 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 it's the idea. Well, it's that it's not. It's it's the idea that they are neurotic and that they are uh basically crazed people seeking refuge like that they're that they're not healthy uh mm-hmm. and you know that they're not happy in their their choice like i think showing like this i mean you you basically watch like a uh a, a convent uh fail uh so mm-hmm. I, I can see why you know and catholics used to be like a lot more serious uh, i feel mm-hmm. like you know especially american catholics kind of uh not that serious today but really? like, um, I, I, I yeah,
1: you yeah. say, you'd say well, it, you'd American,
2: say... American Catholics relative to everyone else are like historically lax. Really? Yes. Historically chill, let's say. And right. then, um, yeah, over time, as with all things become increasingly <laughs> chill.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's. This is, I guess, a slightly different topic. But yes, that's true about American Catholics. Obviously, we're not speaking about every Catholic in America, but just the kind of the diocese. Uh, You're
2: very far away from the Pope. So, you know. Sure. Like.
0: <laughs> Although, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Some of the most like hardcore Catholics that I hear about to the extent that I, I do, uh, it's like Africa. Africa is like a huge mm-hmm. like burgeoning place for Catholicism. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the majority of the growth of the church is taking place in Africa right now. And like their bishops are like the most, I I mean, I can't, not every bishop or whatever, but the handful that you hear from that I hear from, uh, are like pretty hardcore. Um, Mm -hmm. so I don't know. Uh, anyways, yeah, I feel like American Catholics in the late forties would certainly have been upset by what they may have felt was a disrespectful or, uh, insulting portrayal of you know the church and then you know the but idea the, that nuns would yeah. would fail and all that they kind. also
2: really like getting mad at movies though like historically
0: yeah and it's interesting it's it's like you can you can really have a good time watching movies if you go by the movies that the church has officially condemned yes and then the movies <laughs> sure. that they have but and the movies that they've officially like i don't know what sanctioned i I don't know like they're they're like their top 10 list of like just mm-hmm. wonderful, you know, movies. It's like two thousand
1: one is on there. Uh, you know, really? I can't remember. Passion what was on of the there.
2: Passion of the Christ, probably. Aren't Catholics
1: aren't Catholics like um, very like interested in the sciences now? Is that did I make that up? Um, I mean, I'm just thinking about two thousand one. Two thousand one is uh, it doesn't you know necessarily negate the existence of God, but it's not yeah. exactly it's not exactly like i mean science. maybe
2: if you were comparing it to like fundamentalist christians then you could, could
1: well i'm just for for an organization they're that not like at one point like burning people at the stake i'm just one i, I thought no, i mean i thought at this i i thought i heard somewhere that like Catholics. i mean are, the church the catholic have like scientists they, and shit yes yeah
0: they they acknowledge evolution uh you yeah. know that so like they're they're very i guess modern in that sense but it's it also i mean it does come out of just it wasn't like they had to like be convinced of it it's like there's kind of a long inter- intellectual tradition uh within the church of you know there's there's also a long history of scientists not being accepted and welcomed mm-hmm. for sure um but yeah but i mean in the last 200 years though they probably look pretty good like from a secular perspective they probably look pretty good compared to like 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 uh, kit was saying like like American fundamentalists, mm-hmm. um, sometimes are seen as like really backwards, and are so Catholics might look pretty pretty good. Are Catholics like the cool kids now? I mean, I think so. I think I'm pretty cool. <laughs> well, all right, but but no, yeah. It's, but yeah, it's it's funny if you go the list that they've officially or the list of films they've officially condemned, and then the ones that they've said are like great works of art. It's like that's all you know somebody at the the church is really a, a movie buff. They uh,
2: mm-hmm. got
0: some good taste. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Anyhow.
1: Shout out to the church.
2: Yeah, big
0: ups. (laughs) Big ups to the church. Mm -hmm. Big
1: ups to Francis. Um,
2: What do people, what do What
1: do Catholics actually think of Pope Francis? Are you guys like a, like, and I'm not, I'm, this is a legitimate question. Like, is it, is it like, because he's supposed to be like the mouthpiece of God, right? The Pope? Uh, Yes. Uh, I mean, yes and no. Yes and okay. It, it's one of those. I mean, it's not like
0: just because he says something that that's exactly what God. It's not like he is God and God is speaking through him at all times. But, but sometimes but he is. In certain contexts, that yes, it's. How do you? De- how do you? Uh, sorry, the, how do you determine that? Well, it's. I mean, and so he is. I'm and I'm not the best person to ask. I'm new to this. I have a follow up question, so I but say, I have to establish. you have Catholic this. listeners. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, there's there's things—it's basically when the Pope or the Church come to a decision, it is through, you know, prayer and discerning that this is the will of God. Um, and so they are sort of like the apparatus that then—that conveys that to the people when there is confusion or when there is—when we need to know, you know. But at the same time, like, you can pray to God and reach God yourself, you know, He's he's not the only person who has a link of communication. To okay, God, if that, if that if that's what you mean.
1: No, I mean, yeah, I I understand that. I just I'm mm-hmm. I guess I'm, you know what? Well, I was one. Well, the thing, the question I was going to ask was like, because like Catholics, they can they can they can talk about like you can you can talk badly about the Pope, right? Like that's a thing. Like you don't have to like. You're not. It's not. Uh, yeah, I love that picture. Kit. Kit just posted a picture of ruth when she's like completely possessed at the end of the movie it's like that was awesome it's so good it's so good it's so good in that red dress um Mm -hmm. sorry back to not talking about this movie um (laughs) like is it unfashionable to be like i'm a catholic and i think the pope sucks even though sometimes he's my you know he's got a direct link to god um
0: I, again, I'm not trying to be a dick, but yes and no. Okay. Uh, All right. There are some Catholics for whom that would be, like, beyond the pale to criticize the Pope, and then there are some Catholics that are, like, very vocally critical of the Pope uh, to the point where, like, there's a lot of Catholics that sort of, like, reject they they view him as an illegitimate pope going back to Vatican II and all this kind of so there's a lot of there's probably more than you would think uh uh dispute and I, uh, diversity of thought within the church.
1: Well I thought uh no, it's not that I didn't think there was diversity of thought, but I also thought that the Catholic Church was like I thought Catholics were more generally in alignment on stuff than like mm-hmm. than like all of the different uh you know I mean, denominations. That is, Right. States. States. In
2: in in theory, Catholicism is distinguished by a commitment to a very long tradition and by not simply schisming <laughs> when they don't agree with something. Right. So, I would say traditionally, like maybe not just not merely criticizing the pope, but being like, you have to say. The, the pope is illegitimate in a sense to like feel that he, to if you really believe he's in error i think yes
0: that is yeah that's that's a good good point
2: okay and that's you know long tradition of finding popes to be illegitimate as well right <laughs> in the catholic church like yes. centuries of of declaring new popes and such um at one time what three popes i think at once three popes <laughs> yes
1: yeah
0: Holy moly. <laughs> Long time ago.
2: Three popes, a bunch of different Vatican, like different, you know, homes of the Catholic Church. So they have schismed, but they, but less frequently. Yeah.
0: Frequently. Far less. It's frequently. a bigger, it's a bigger deal for them maybe than for other denominations. They're just like, mm-hmm. okay, well, we're going over to the we're, <laughs> yeah,
2: so we're going to start a new one,
0: yeah. Yes, we're going
1: to, we're going to build a new building. But anyways, welcome to Pope Talk, everybody. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Genu- genuinely, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was just very curious. I, sure it's, it, no, yeah. it's interesting um it is yeah and i should i should reiterate i am
0: far from an expert you know i've only been what three three or four years been going to church and i still i don't remember all of the things that i'm supposed to say during mass and i don't know a lot of what i don't know why we do a lot of what we do
1: so. do they ever do you ever like screw up and the and the and the priest looks over at you and just be like and goes oh mike it happens more than you would think <laughs> I, believe it. I believe it dude uh uh um, anyway what else what else can we say about this movie i feel like so i feel like we haven't like uh said my very only, much my only other
0: note uh uh that we hadn't addressed already was the one kit posted the picture of sister ruth's eyes at the very end is like that was so badass it looked like something from yes. like, like a modern horror movie uh with her the, the transformation
1: incredible
2: is Excuse insane yeah. Like you can't cool. there are times where like when she's a nun, I mean, you know, I do think all nuns look the same, but um, For sure. She she like it's it's ama- like I was for instance when she shows up on that date, like she and her hair's like red, which is funny because she's very similar to what's her name in um the red shoes of mm-hmm. just kind of like a red headed, like evil eyed kind of like just very intense lady um, mm-hmm. but her hair's like light and then and it's funny. so I watched the final the amazing like final sequence like murder attempt sequence which is really like the reason for the movie I think it is um, I use that in our anniversary video so I've seen that like a million times because I was editing it to music and I would have I would have staked my life on the fact that that actress's hair was like black because that's just like yeah. how I like she. The color of her hair changes somehow, and yeah, that red line like going under her eyes, like yeah. And I mean, it's performance too. The actress, um, Kathleen something, yeah, um,
0: Kathleen Byron.
2: Byron, she's incredible. Um, but the it's funny because like you know Deborah Carr was the star. She's above the line. Like she's. But this role would be so much more fun. I, I agree. would imagine. Yeah. I mean, this, to play this, for an actress.
1: This this to me is like the the thing that sticks. Like yeah, you know, for a movie that is almost plotless, um, this is the thing that I I can talk to the most. Um, mm-hmm. Like her her whole story. Uh, you know, she's she's got very like the the, the flashbacks are very meaty. Um, yeah, just her whole role. It just feels very like front and center to the movie in a way that the others don't yeah she's
2: she's Wait, hmm.
1: did she have flashbacks as well or was
0: it just uh the, there were her flashbacks weren't they
2: no they were no they were deborah carr's all of it was, them
0: it was the it was mm-hmm. the good the kind of the good you know quote unquote the the good nun that was the one wow, where she was uh, with the guy I well, will But to no, be was, honest, I think Kit that's
2: said, that's on purpose. I think okay. that there are many ways in which Sister Ruth is, you know, a doppelganger. Yeah, to I, I will plot say at.
1: that when yeah. they are in their habits, they do look a lot alike. Look the same. I mean, you're that's... you're you are right that all all nuns do look alike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I think that's it's the true. idea, and then I think the film uses the, that. to Kind of. It's draw very that. Black
2: Swan, and they do know. kind of cut. They yeah, do kind of. Yeah.
1: They do kind of juxtapose. If if I'm in, if I'm not incorrect, I feel like they do kind of juxtapose those flashback scenes very closely to like a scene with Sister Ruth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think sure. being no, I, a, I, think, I
2: think being around Sister Ruth is what is part of what makes Clara start thinking about yeah these things. Well, I mean, it's the environment and Mister Dean, I think as well. But and and the yeah. sister
1: the Sister Ruth uh, flashbacks like like her whole it's it's recalling a relationship in which she was left and rejected, right?
2: Cloud Flash. Cloud Clotta, Eye Flash. Yes, yes. And, then yes.
1: Ruth, and then Ruth's story with Mr. Dean is one mm-hmm. of her being rejected. Mm-hmm. So, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, interesting. Cool.
2: Uh, yeah, and I think that's probably why she has red or, like, reddish hair, because Deborah Carr does. And, like, there's the amazing scene, which, again, these are the kinds of things that I feel, like, are difficult for modern moviegoers to pick up on, but, like, the scene where she's having... Scorsese talked about how creatively and how gently Michael Powell moves from fantasy to reality. Yes, like he comes up with multiple ways of illustrating that. Um, there's the part where she runs out the door into blackness. Yes, yeah. there's the like um, I can't think of the word. The like overlay of her in her habit.
1: It's uh, what is it? And then
2: her red hair. A dissolve. I don't know, like- yeah. Yeah. Um, like all of these and then and the music obviously plays a big role. And funnily, so the a couple of details. One, the end sequence was shot to a completed piece of music. So the music was done really? first. Hmm. Yes. Which is that's crazy. That's um, what Nolan but, does. Yeah, but it's a it's it's really cool. Um and again I think just shows the degree to which these guys are collaborators. Like they 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 are themselves a team, and then they their cinematographer is well, part of that team. Obviously, yeah. the, the composer is,
1: and and they, they the level of, I don't want to say that like, I mean it's just not quite done that way now. You know, he, I think you you and I watched listened to the same uh, Scorsese commentary, mm-hmm. but like he talks about how Powell would just and Pressburger would shoot the movie. Just how they wanted to shoot it, and then just hand mm. it to an editor,
2: and yeah. L- and then yes. the
1: editor would construct them, which is like something that Scorsese disagree with. I disagree with it. I think it's. I think that's nuts. Um, I
2: one hundred percent under like I one hundred percent with Scorsese that it's like where Scorsese even said like the editing part is way more fun to me, and yeah. I feel similarly. Where like recording stuff for an album is like not the fun part. The fun part is after everything's done, and then you get to go like do weird shit with it and put. Weird colorful you know, just different stuff on it.
1: I also think you um, can you can like a huge amount of directorial intent is I mean, you could you could mm-hmm. you can you can enhance it in the edit or you can entirely lose it in the edit. Yeah. Um so I mean obviously they had a great editor and it, it it's it's uh you know, it worked out or and everything. But it is it is nuts to me not that process not being like as collaborative between the director and the editor as it should be um Mm -hmm. like that's so so much more interesting to me i guess but whatever works for you but yeah it's it's interesting to me thinking about like (sighs) i guess the filmmaking process being less about you know somebody at the top you know the director being in charge of everything and the movie just sort of like passing through different departments until it's finished if that makes sense Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah anyway I just thought that was um, fascinating was Thelma oh, the editor on this one on this no yeah no I she no no I, I she's Scorsese's uh, editor she just yeah, but didn't she, she work with them too she married Powell.
2: she married Powell.
0: but that she never worked with them I don't think I don't
2: so think
0: so. okay I didn't know how is she st- wonder who their editor was
1: is she still kicking
2: no
0: yeah yeah she is
2: Mm-mm.
1: did she die recently no she's alive She's 82. She is? Yeah. Are you thinking of uh, Sally, Sally Fields? Is that what's, what's that? Is that her name? No, not Sally Fields. Good no. Lord. Who's I the... definitely
2: thought Schoonmacher died a few years ago.
1: You did? Okay. She is still alive. I was thinking of Verna uh, Fields. Sorry.
0: Um, But it doesn't look like she started editing, you're right, until Scorsese. She's worked with him. I thought she maybe had worked with Powell and Pressburger.
2: Was she married to Powell before she started working with Scorsese?
1: I don't think she so. married him She married him in she, 1984. Yeah, she okay. met she, he okay. introduced them.
2: Okay.
1: And he That's very sweet. He died yeah, he died in 1990.
2: mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
1: How old was he? Good lord, 85. All oh, good for him. So the editor
0: was Reginald Mills for Black Narcissus.
2: Um Here another th- the red shoes. Sorry. Okay. Another thing that Scorsese said was that the scene where um Ruth and Clara are talking about like her obsession with Mr. Dean. Scorsese said he basically stole uh everything from that scene for uh, the color of money.
1: I know. Um I wanna watch around
2: the pool table. I know it made me want to go watch that I scene. I wanna watch
1: it really bad. Particularly There's like the use of the use connection. of
2: close the use mm-hmm. of close ups. Yeah. Um and the way that she like pops into frame and again like Scorsese points out like that was extremely weird to see in a movie to see so- to see like an empty frame and then the actor like pop into it yeah um like which is, typically is t- like the camera would like follow mm-hmm. the person standing up
1: which is totally like it's so funny to me to think about to think about like filmmaking is is not is is prescribed in in very different ways now but like the 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 fundamental language of of filmmaking was much more uh like the rules were much more I don't know like sh- they were strict I feel like about the rules um mm-hmm. you know when you'd shoot coverage you you know you it wasn't necessarily always an artistic choice not that it is now but I think I think just it's weird to think about stuff as 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 seemingly small as that as somebody rising into the frame as being like a a, mm-hmm. a big like rule breaking moment. But it totally is. Um
2: and in retrospect I can see there was something I remember in a movie we talked about it might have been big night or something. But I talked about how something was shot where the camera like followed the person standing up. Maybe it was Ed Wood even. And I was like, I don't know how to put it, but that's just something from an old movie. Like when when yeah. I see a camera follow somebody standing up from a desk, I'm just like, they're referencing like the 30s or the 40s. Absolutely. And I never thought about the reverse, where it's like, whereas if I see someone pop into frame, I'm like, oh, that's a Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> like that's well, like totally modern filmmaking.
1: I just, yeah, I I feel like I feel like we don't we a lot of movies just don't use tripods the way that old movies had to mm. you know like i feel like most i mean for you know decades the only way to shoot a movie was on a tripod um and so it's yeah it's just feels like a a a a matter of function uh of the time mm. but um yeah it's it's interesting for sure any other um, any little mm-hmm. stragglers I
2: mm-hmm. feel like we should talk more about that like just that ending sequence of just like no dialogue. It's very long. It's very slow. It's very interesting to me that, like, Cloudus seems to know that, like, something... (laughs) For such a long time, she seems to realize that something bad is happening, but she just keeps going about her business. It's just... It's so brilliant, and, like, it's scary and tense, but also just insanely beautiful. It's because we've... This is the same location we've been for the entire movie. um, But it's never... Like, none... Everything just heightens so much right there. Like, the way that all those rooms are shot. The way the cliff is shot. Like, everything they managed to make it more beautiful and bigger. And of course, and the fucking strange detail, which like, I wonder if, I'm guessing this is from the book, but the that nun who instead of planting any food, plants flowers. Love and that. so the yeah. place just becomes filled. What a like surreal, strange little touch. Um, Very weird. Very and what, cool.
1: what was that? Just like she was, it was the, where it was like, the location of where they were at—it was something about like being, yeah, being just being in like kind of a shitty place and wanting to.
2: I think she's like remembering flowers, and so she just plants flowers.
1: Yeah.
2: So <laughs> they like—they're all just it. like being haunted. Yeah, I loved it's it. It's very initially... like Edgar Allan Poe-ish or something. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I initially thought that that was. So there's the scene with the little kid. Uh, where he is going to bring them a package and then Sister Ruth intercepts him and says, like, give me that. That's mine. You know, nobody Mm -hmm. else needs to see that. And initially, like, the flowers thing happens, like, pretty soon after that. And I was like, oh, okay, she ordered some flowers. I guess Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's uh, exotic and, you know, sensual or something like that. And Mm -hmm. that's why it would be not welcome. But then it was like, oh, it's like a nice thing. And they're all, you know good with it or something mm-hmm. but then it, you know it, as it turns out ruth had ordered like the dress and the lipstick and stuff like that so yeah but well uh, and
2: there's there's also what we didn't talk about the um the when she faints the part where when when uh ruth faints is so cool like just the the red flash which we've also we saw repeated in rear window mm-hmm. um yeah also, I feel like Scorsese does something like that in Age of Innocence with just like a color field kind of like bursting um, onto the film. Um, but the way the camera falls and when it blacks out is like so perfect. It's so it's just that's another thing that I assume they're inventing of like, how do we convey? They're really good. They do this in The Red Shoes as well. Um switching to the point of view of a character while still going back and forth like it, i think it must be a tricky thing to to have the character be like the third person in a scene and then also be shifting into their perspective every once in a while and of course that became like a almost like the calling card of a slasher movie <laughs> to like have scenes that are from the killer's perspective. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. And I mean, I think I, I I have to assume that's something that they are sort of inventing, or at least taking further um, than it had gone before. Um, you know, depicting fainting from like within the perspective of the person fainting. Yeah. Um it was really cool.
1: I'm gonna be really sad I when we've about got that when we've got no more Paul Pressburger movies to watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh.
0: There's a lot. There we got several, although some of them are black and white, which I don't know if I've Boo.
1: ever seen. Boo! I know. That's what's old, the point? It's old. It's old, yeah. dude. Who wants to watch an <laughs> old movie? Colors fresh and it's the new hotness and black it and is white. Pretty hip. No, thank you. Although I've never seen it's... Peeping Tom. Wow. Well. Peeping Tom's in color. No, it's not. Is it? Yeah.
2: No. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, it's I've never seen. Like I've never like seen it. Techni- so how would I know? It, it's not like you
2: know? Technicolor.
0: Okay. It's pretty. It's pretty vivid. It's. But yes, it's not. It's not uh, like this or matter of life and death or anything.
2: Although, um. I have think you the seen ladies in it? Is it Baron? No. What am I thinking? Did they do? They did do Baron von Munchausen. What am I thinking of? No,
1: that's uh, Terry Gilliam.
2: The, the opera one, Tales of Hoffman. I've been looking. I've been wanting to watch that.
0: That actually just got podcast. announced. Uh, Criterion's putting that out, so there will be. Cool. spiffy new version, yeah. What, do you know um, when? I haven't seen that either. Uh, sometime in the next couple months, I think it's maybe on their June slate.
2: Maybe I could do Tales of Hoffman, Baron von Munchausen, and something.
1: Uh, yeah, that'd be fine. But wait, you want you're gonna do a, criteria, a, a a a Gilliam movie?
2: I don't look. I think Terry Gilliam is. A grump and an and a largely unsuccessful filmmaker. I think it would be great if he could make a movie, and he's made like two or three. But <laughs> like, I think that like Baron, it looks amazing. It's he just he I've... can't make it happen, and then he's also made, he's also successfully made horrible films.
1: Yeah.
0: So there's also a German.
2: Yes, film called like Munchausen. The, the,
0: that's well, very there's deep. like
2: the animated one, right? Colorful.
0: Uh, uh, pro- oh, I'm sure. I, there's probably a ton, but there's a there's a live action, very kind of colorful film from. The, I think it's for, probably from the 40s called Munchausen, but it's German. Oh, but I yeah. See. I haven't seen the Gilliam one. Also, I still think you guys are fucking with me when you talk about Terry Gilliam because, like, like you say, you both say you don't like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which I think is odd. I hate that and movie. Like, I hate it. He did Brazil. I love Brazil. Like Brazil. No, I love okay. Brazil. I
1: love Brazil. Okay. I love Brazil um i like i think i mean i haven't seen like i know people people like 12 monkeys i think i might like it i haven't seen it since forever um monkeys is good time time bandits i love time time bandits Bandits. Mm -hmm. that's such a good that's a great movie i think he did jabberwocky Um, which i really i enjoyed i don't remember that one uh fisher king is i know one that people like Uh, you know i feel the same
2: way i feel i feel kind of the same way about ridley scott we're like Ridley Scott has made some of the greatest movies ever,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but I, but at a certain point, I feel like I, I, I don't like people who start to feel like they are entitled to being considered geniuses, no matter how much they wow. fuck up their own shit. That's <laughs> that's that's the
1: that's the audience's fault, yeah. I think. It has no, been a while. No, but Terry wild... Gilliam
2: is a is a prick, and and yeah. doesn't. I don't feel takes responsibility for his own. And Ridley Scott too is like, well, the audience just isn't smart enough to get understand this movie. And it's like,
1: that's true. You're not wrong.
2: That may have been true for Blade Runner. That's not true for <laughs> all, the, the, all the shitty movies he's made since a then. Gucci
1: movie. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Gilliam, um, I saw a movie last night that might make my top ten list. Um, totally blew me away it's called um everything everywhere all at once uh very gilliam-esque um michelle yo is in it uh the kid from temple of doom who's you know a 50 year old man now Uh, directed
2: by two people
1: directed by these yeah two guys named daniel um everything all at once Everything, everywhere, all at once. Watch the trailer. It's you know, okay. th- Hollywood is all about multiverses right now. This is going to be the best mm-hmm. thing. This is going to be the best multiverse movie. But it's very, it's very, very, very Gilliam esque, and uh, it's <gasps> they also-
2: directed "Turn Down for What," which is an amazing video. They are music video directors. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm I'm friends with people who are friends with them, um, and they all attest that to them being. Pretty much geniuses. I, they also directed Swiss Army Man, which I like Paul Dano, I like Daniel Radcliffe, <gasps> but I did not enjoy that movie very much. Although it is very visually creative and interesting. Um, but this movie, this movie is also produced by the Russos, and I, I think you can see their hand here because it's kind of an action, mm. it's kind of an action movie. And, um, it feel like it feel. there's things there's I saw it, it was interesting because this is like an A24 movie. It's kind of a smaller, smaller thing, but they're doing a bit of like an IMAX roadshow. So I saw it. It's not supposed to come out for a couple of weeks, but I saw it last night at like a regal theater in the suburbs in an IMAX showing of uh, and it was like sold out. And it was just like it was like it's so weird seeing a movie like this and having it be such a crowd pleaser like you had mm-hmm. you know you had people clapping and and um just reacting to the movie in the way you know they would like a marvel movie or something like that um hmm. so anyway uh, I've never even heard of it yeah it's 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 not one that I would expect to be on many people's radars but the fact that they're doing they're doing such a um a, uh, you know, even if it's just special screenings, like doing a big re- doing a, a such a wide release like this, um, I hope I hope that it makes it to people's, you know, peripherals, because it's um, probably the most interesting visually, at least. Uh, and it's so much, I think, like the things that we appreciate, um, you know, sort of like raw creativity, you know, do- doing things that no one else is doing, um, you know, in the, in the way that we we would say something like this, like, you know, Black Narcissus, like, ah, they just don't do things like this anymore. It's like, guys yeah. guys like this are, are, are apparently are. So, uh, anyway. Uh, Keeping the flame lit. Hi- highly recommend. Yeah, I'll just check it out. Yep. Sounds cool. But, anyhow. Any other
0: little stragglers that we have that we want to talk about?
1: Not, not really. I not mean, something? I I feel, I feel for my part that, like, we haven't really done this movie justice or sold it. Enough, you know, I think I think
2: we've said that about the red shoes.
1: We did, also, (laughs) I think we did, yeah. I and I, and possibly a matter of life and death. I mean, that's the thing Mm -hmm. is like, there, I think one thing I like about this podcast is that we usually watch good movies or at least interesting movies. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's really only been like a handful where I'm, I you know, to the, the one person who might accidentally listen to this who hasn't seen. You know, one of these movies, this is one where I would be like, please go watch this. <laughs> Do yourself a favor and find a dark room at the very least with a, a, a TV that's not tiny and and watch this movie. Um, It is worth it. Um So.
2: Yeah, Sounds it's like kind it's- of like, I don't oh. know, I guess it's a little bit like in film studies when you watch like a D.W. Griffith movie and it's like, here's where they figured out that like you should keep characters like facing the same direction, like, as you cut back and forth, and it's, like, you know, all of, it seems so much like they are inventing, like, they're sort of the next phase of, like, inventing cinema. Um, There's so much that they do that, you know, we're still almost catching up to, in a sense. Um, And only the very, best filmmakers it seems like can even pull it off you know Mm -hmm. you know it's like the Wes Anderson's the Scorsese's maybe the Spielberg's like um but yeah they're 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 just they're really incredible they're really like on on another level and seem to be Having so much fun doing it. It's, I think it's cool because there's such an, especially now, this idea of like, um, you know, we were just talking about Gilliam and like of this, like, this, like, eccentric genius, this, like, one guy who's the only guy who can do his thing. And this is like at least two guys, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and it's actually very many more as they very, um, openly acknowledge themselves you yeah. know they they speak about their own work in a very like magnanimous way that shares the credit um very widely and obviously they were very open to sharing mm-hmm. um what they knew with like younger filmmakers who were oh, interested for sure.
1: and listening and i guess
2: they're coming from like a studio system that is probably more has a more humble treatment <laughs> of directors um or forces directors to be more humble um right.
1: Well, the idea of 100 yeah. million dollars just didn't exist in 1947. Yeah. So that Well, helps. and
2: they were they're, they're you know, their Alexander Corda, their like mentor was a producer. Right. You know. So
1: Well, it's and it's it's, you know, listening to uh, Scorsese talk about this movie too and, you know, any movie he talks about really it just it really highlights the importance of 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 film history and caring about mm-hmm. what's what's been done cuz I mean you know, uh, arguably, this movie and 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 a a few, you know all, all the others that have influenced Martin Scorsese are you know partial, you know the reason why we have so many good. I mean, he's the reason, but I'm just saying, like him him sort of taking these ideas and filtering them through his own brain mm-hmm. is 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 why we have so many good Martin Scorsese movies. And me, you know, I, I hate to be. I, I always try to be the person who says, you know. No, movies don't suck now. Um and I do believe that for the most part, but it's like I and and maybe this isn't the best argument, but I'm just thinking about like this is what's feeding into Martin Scorsese and then and then Martin Scorsese is just filtering into people like Todd Phillips, you know? So it's just <laughs> like it's like there's this there's this thing that's happening where uh you know, there's sort of a diminishing return um, for each subs- yeah. of subsequent generation, like, yeah,
2: it's almost like movies are being like this. Is th- these are people who, like I said, they're looking at Disney as the er example of filmmaking.
1: It's yeah, which is um, interesting for sure,
2: and it's complete. You know where it, literally everything you see on the screen is invented. It's it's mm-hmm. created. You know by the by the production. Um, and I wonder if there's a way in which movies are like increasingly instrumentalized as like merely narratives, like merely a conveyance for the exact story that <laughs> the audience wants to see. Mm-hmm. And that the, I mean, at least on a, I'm talking like, you know, mass level, what people actually go see in the theaters, where I genuinely think it is fair to say, and I say this as somebody who's like, I've liked some Marvel movies, but this has so much more in common with something like The Matrix, which is original both in its ideas and its storytelling and visually, For like sure. in its filmmaking. For sure. Mm-hmm. You can com- compare, you can, visually speaking, the average marvel film is a different species of thing like for sure from from, from this and we and that's what I mean, where it seems to be merely a delivery device for like you know a particular story as opposed to a like visually inventive thing and it's you know we're getting like i don't we're getting a sam raimi marvel movie like we'll you know we'll we'll see like i don't he's I don't... certainly someone who can do visual inventiveness but i
1: don't i don't have a problem with the idea of like art having like a shelf life or being disposable i don't necessarily think that makes it bad and i don't Or you know i'm sure i mean there is some art that is disposable and it is because it is bad i don't have a problem with with things being you know the equivalent of uh you know fluff or whatever but uh it's just it's and honestly i think it speaks to the wide breadth of film that you you can have something like this, and it will, pr- and it, it it should matter for forever, and then you can make something else that's popular just right now. I think that's okay. I
2: I think though that it's changing what people think yes. a movie is, at yes. least what the majority of people think a movie is, which is that, something that
1: that's the problem looks
2: indistinguishable from. Something you from like you know was something you'd watch on Netflix that like I can see why people would be like well why would I go to a theater to see Spider Man No Way Home it looks exactly the fucking same on my computer monitor because it actually does look the same it you know I mean, whereas whereas I have nothing like I'm I'm like Sarah I could for the most part give a shit I was capable of noticing that um, that uh, tremors looked really good. That was partially only in contrast to my expectations for Tremors, which is that it would not look yeah. good at all. <laughs> but like for instance, when I went and saw The Batman, I was actually sitting there in the in a movie theater going, like, these blacks are not black enough. I need to see <laughs> this in IMAX. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I did, and I was like, Oh hell yeah, I can see way you know, way more of this. And like yeah. this movie would obviously be similar. Yeah. And I guess there are certain films for which that would not be a the highest, um, that would not be, like, that wouldn't matter. Like, even, like, When Harry Met Sally, does that really matter? And I love that movie. Um, but we are, in, like, increasingly teaching people that, like, that doesn't matter. That they don't even know that that's a thing, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think... Yeah. I think the I think the thing that scares me most about the state of film right now isn't the state of film right now, it's what does it mean for the people who are learning how to make movies right now? Mhm. You know? Are they are they just skipping everything that's happening right now? Probably not. You mm-hmm. know? So, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and you've got you've got people who are operating in this realm that are very good at what they do, but it also when all they do is this, it makes you wonder like if they're even capable of doing kind of the kind of thing we're looking at now. Like people who the the sort of like chief operators, you know, the um the the um the household names within sort of the popular cinema right now. You've people like the Russo's or James Gunn or uh you know, I hate to include him, but Zack Snyder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and like those are peop- those are names that people know and it's like what but what can they do outside of this thing like they're good at this specific thing mm-hmm. but are they yeah so i don't know i don't know i'm kind of rambling now but um it's just uh we'll have to wait and see i guess
0: yeah and i mean it was funny because a minute ago when kit was talking about how Paul and Pressburger were apparently so influenced by disney and it's she was wild. talking about Walt Disney himself and, like, the animation that he kind of spearheaded with mm-hmm. his studio back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, like, back then we would want people to draw inspiration from
2: Disney. But then <laughs> sure. what we're
0: talking about with the second half of this conversation is yeah. that the kind of both the aesthetic and just the approach to film as a product that Disney kind of embodies for us now is, like, what we want people to not be. Uh, it's mm-hmm. what we don't want people yeah, I think I think we don't think it will be as productive of a. It won't inspire the art that old Disney inspired. I do. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I do still be- think,
2: except animation, like if you go watch Toy Story Four, which I really encourage everyone to do, it is <laughs> shockingly gorgeous. It, it, I, it to me, it is like every Toy Story movie feels like a leap forward visually. This is like such a massive leap forward. Yeah. in 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 animation. And so I think there's still that like via Pixar like we are but you know certainly not in like The Lion King or something, you know.
0: No. Yeah, it's tricky. And I think it's you know, and I'm I'm going to sound like maybe more like Andrew typically does, but like, you know, we're speaking generally about these things. Uh and I, you know, like I just watched Encanto last week and I didn't like it at all. But I know a mm-hmm. lot of people like love that movie. Um, I felt like watching that, I felt like it was like when I watched Frozen where it was like, well, this is like fine. Like there's some cool, like the animation was, was nice, uh, but it didn't like resonate with me or any. like mm-hmm. I, I, the story just, I, nothing clicked with it. It was like, this is, it's something that they've made for very young kids to enjoy and that's, yeah, you know, I hope they enjoy it but uh i don't know my point i guess is i think where when i'm at my most optimistic and i look at film and like where it might go it's like the th- the thing is like people have souls like there are people who have and and i mean that both like in a religious way but I, what i mean more is like people have there's soul like there's something mm-hmm. there's some humanity that so many of us like seek to express uh there can be just the complete like colossus of something like you know soulless like disney like like disney often is now currently nowadays uh and that can seem to kind of like dampen the the the, the whole medium to the point where we don't feel like there are people with souls still making this art that like touches us in the way that you know the great works of you know the great films that we watch like we don't see them as often but then and i i hate to constantly point to this one guy but like when i whenever i see like a robert Eggers movie i'm like there's still one guy out there doing it oh or for like, sure even like mm-hmm. wes anderson hate him or love him it's like okay he's out there doing it and like tarantino can be hit or miss but like damn it if once upon a time in hollywood
1: sure. i love that movie you know? i mean you've got you've got so, pe- people who are still bubbling up you got sean baker you've got um the, mm-hmm. the the daniels the movie i was just talking about uh okay yeah ari aster like there's there are there are definitely names jane named... campion jane campion is still doing it um but it, it, i and, and i guess what i would what i would say is like i see so clearly the things in black narcissus that have percolated into the rest of cinema mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong man i think i've 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 watched the scene of Captain America picking up Thor's hammer a thousand times and it still gives me goosebumps. But like, I don't know that I necessarily want like the next generation of filmmakers being influenced by that. Like that seems to me, it's like that's an end point. That's like an end point that you can't I mean, and maybe my brain is just not creative enough to think of like interesting ways to take that further. But it's just like, it's like, okay, these people have taken everything they've learned, and they've gotten to this point for pure entertainment value. And that's great. And I like it. But it's like, I don't. I don't want that to be like well, that's... the cinematic moment that, you know, informs the next generation as much as I enjoy it. So, yeah, I don't know. It's... And that's
2: that's why the Joker, I mean, the Joker is a really interesting one to bring up. And it's yeah. kind of, I think that gets at what I mean, where it's like, the Joker is taxi driver, essentially. Yeah. But only in the most superficial of ways is it visually similar to yes, taxi yeah. driver. Yes, I agree. Like, yes. it is thematically and tonally again even then in a pretty superficial way like similar to taxi driver like it's and i feel that way when i watch um the uh i Tanya guy what's it craig gillespie movies where mm-hmm. though i do think he has a little bit more of like the vi- of of a at least a goodfellas-esque <laughs> like like visual flair um but it's, it's really just like, well, it's somebody talking to the camera. It's like, but like, Scorsese is doing, yeah, and again, Scorsese is not the only guy to emulate. But it's more just like, narratively, the fact that people are anti-heroes and they like shoot each other and, you know, it, it, there's a comedic element to the half-wittedness of their banditry. Like, that feels like, you know, a certain portion of Scorsese's filmography that tends to be the only thing remembered, I think, by the wider public. It's like people thinking that like Brian De Palma's, only movie is Scarface, you know. It's like, no, he did a lot of different right. <laughs> kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think when you're in the middle of something, like the justice will come. Children are not. I'm fairly confident that children are not being raised on the live action Lion King.
1: I agree. Like, I agree. Children yeah. are being
2: raised on like Frozen and Encanto, but those are also not as bad as <laughs> the live action Lion King is. That like, no one. Will ever watch the Will Smith Aladdin again? Like I'm pretty (laughs) convinced, but I, I you know, I I don't even think people. I don't think people. I don't think Coda is gonna become like a classic movie. But I do think like the Power of the Dog is something that people are probably gonna watch. Like you know, yeah, for the next fifty years, like they're like just time. You know, the the, um and
1: things can go away and come back too. I mean that that happens all the time. So
2: like you know um freaking The Green Knight like didn't like didn't get nominated for anything Oscar wise was not like a popular movie but it's on m- more people's like favorite of the year than any other movie I can mm. think of and like same with um, French Dispatch like which people either love or hate which is probably a better position for a movie to be in in terms of being remembered um, for Sure. than even universally something universally beloved necessarily so yeah I think what you know, and I think uh Robert Agers, like all those movies, are gonna get. People are gonna keep watching The Witch like forever. Yeah. Um.
0: Yep. So I'm I not agree.
2: really, and that movie didn't make any money. Real, I mean, it did well because <laughs> for what it is, but it's not. Yeah, I think time. All you know, all of these Disney. I I still I don't think kids are gonna be raised on like the latest Star Wars trilogy.
1: Yeah, that I don't know because I would have I would have thought that about the prequel trilogy, and that did not end up being true. That's true. (laughs) true. Because now there's a cultural reappraisal (laughs) where those movies are good, and it's like it's it's, it's hard to hard to get my head around that one. That is odd. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Anyhow, yeah. Time will tell. I also think it's like the film buffs of twenty forty, like probably won't be like, oh, I just watched Will Smith Aladdin again and again when I was a kid. Like there probably are kids who are just consuming that content, you that's, know, because it's there. That's the thing um, is,
1: yeah, will 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 we sort of uh be able to shed the sort of, you know, the like crassly cap, you know, commercial films of right now? Like will we will will our sort of our humanity, our our thirst for something deeper uh, for true art, you know, whatever you want to call it or whatever, will that sort of supersede, you know, those who just want to sell a movie ticket? Yeah, um, And yeah. maybe. But I mean, I mean, there's, there's, you know, uh, westerns were for, you know, what? How many years were like the only thing Hollywood was making? And yeah. we, we've forgotten about ninety five percent of them. You know, that's we, what yeah. I'm saying.
2: Is like there were definitely movies. I mean, obviously we're putting out way more movies now. Yeah, but. There were shitty movies in 1947 that nobody ever watches or talks about anymore. For sure. I mean, this <laughs> is, like, yeah.
1: This is, I feel like I'm having to convince myself of the thing that I'm usually saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's only because this movie was so good.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was. It was good.
0: <laughs> All right. I believe it's time for the cruise minute.
2: Okay. I feel like, can we just use the, the color of money thing? <laughs> Yeah, sure. go for or it. Or does Andrew have more?
0: Oh, I Andrew just... usually
1: has like a news item. I do. Uh, well, I have two. He sent that, us that article. Two that are very funny. Uh, the first thing when I, when I Google Tom, Tom Cruise and, and click the news tab is, no need for speed? Does anyone care about a Top Gun sequel? And let me tell you, baby, yes, they do.
2: <laughs> Meaning us.
1: I think the world is, is absolutely on fire for this thing. But we just don't... They don't realize it yet. Yeah. I, I got a... I just saw... First of all, I, I I watched the new... You know, the new trailer came out last week, and it is the most excited I've been for this thing yet. So the fact that I've watched... I've I've gotten, like, excited and not excited and excited and not excited as this movie's been delayed, like, four times, and now I'm, like, beaming because the marketing <laughs> just kicked it up a notch. I mean, I... I and then you go and you look at comments and stuff and people are ready, they are pumped. So I'm, I'm, I don't think that the delays is go, are gonna really hurt them. I really don't. I, I think, think it could honestly
2: work. be a word of mouth thing too, because like my yeah. theory is that this is Fast and the Furious for planes, and that it's gonna be yeah. more roller coaster than movie. And hopefully oh, sure. when when people start seeing it, it's like, oh yeah, you got to go see this.
1: Yeah, and I do, you know, I, th- I also have a theory, and I could be wrong about this, but a lot of times with sort of belated sequels like this, um, or sequels in general, really, but specifically belated sequels, you know, I'm thinking of like, I don't know. Uh, the, the Mary Poppins thing where it's like yeah. it's a sequel but it's also a remake and they do the exact- another same... movie
2: no one will ever watch again
1: exactly I forgot about that movie but like you know what I mean like where it's like it's technically a sequel but they're gonna do all of the same stuff they did in the original movie and I think that Tom Cruise wouldn't do that even though the trailer has like you can see like there's a bar scene where everybody's singing and you could see that there's, yeah there's a there's a homoerotic uh volleyball game on the beach and stuff. But I don't think I think it's gonna be I don't think it's gonna be like that. That's my, my yeah, that's my theory my is
2: they're in the air most of the time. Yes. That is my theory, is that there's very little well like that's just people talking.
1: I just I think the plot is going to be more at least more interesting than just an exact rehash of a movie mm-hmm. that came out thirty five years ago. That's that's my prediction. Um, and then Um the My nec-
0: prediction is that Sonic will bury it at the box office, that the people
1: will just be seeing it again <laughs> and again and again for months. Sonic comes out next ne- week. It does. I have it on my calendar. You got an alarm on your phone that's going to go off? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Sonic time. Uh, anyway. But yeah. It
2: comes I'm out for next one. week?
0: Fun. S- to- Sonic Son- does, yeah. yeah. April 8th. Top Gun's like kind of late May. May 27th. I think I'll be able to see it even with baby stuff, we'll be able to go see it. Um. All right. Well, thank you for joining us tonight, folks. Please join us next but week. For 19- wait, Mike. Six- what
1: movie are <laughs> we going to? What are we going to watch next week? <laughs> oh, thank you.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. I'd almost forgotten entirely. Yeah. Uh, please join us next week for 1961's *The Innocents*, also starring Deborah Kerr or Kerr or Kerr, whatever. Or Kerr. Car. Um. Slow motion triple feature was recorded in the comfort of our homes. Special thanks to our producer Lee, the man in the booth who makes us sound great. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at slowmotiontriple at gmail.com.